Good morning, Sailorville Church. Did you have a good Christmas? Did you receive the gifts you'd hoped to receive? <laughs> How many of you are wearing a Christmas gift today? May I see your hands? It's time for show and tell. <laughs> and that's a good sign. That means you like what you received. You didn't return it. You didn't re-gift it. <laughs> good for you. There's another gift that I want you to wear throughout this new year, a gift that's explained in a very familiar Bible text, so familiar, I want you to listen to it as if you're hearing it for the very first time. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that, a reference to our faith, not of yourselves, it, again, a reference to the faith is a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is the greatest gift if it's connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and if we allow it to lead us all the way home to heaven. I want you to look at my background slide to my PowerPoint presentation today. That's a very inviting picture to me because I love to hike. When we lived in Washington State, I hiked in the Olympic Mountains, the Cascade Mountains. Uh, my wife and I, a few years ago, walked a portion of the Appalachian Trail out east. Uh, this past Wednesday, such a beautiful Christmas day, wasn't it? Amazing weather. Uh, I, together with two of my grandkids, took a little journey nearby Sadieville Lake, another kind of hike. But there's something else about that picture. Not only is it inviting, it's also, shall we say, rather mysterious because we never know what lies just around the bend. But spiritually speaking, God does. And that makes all the difference. In a sense, we're all preparing for a long hike, a journey which starts in just a few days. On occasion, Pastor Pat challenges the pastoral staff to evaluate our lives and to consider our spiritual trajectory as we begin each decade of our lives, whenever we hit a zero, 20, 30, 40, all the way to the end of the hike, to the end of the journey, to evaluate where are we, how are we doing, where are we headed, and what do we need to change in order to get to God's guidance for our life? I think the same could be applied to the decades of the calendar. This Wednesday, we begin our journey through the 2020s. We need spiritual 2020 vision. We need to have eyes of faith to follow Christ into a new decade. Yes, today we want to talk about faith, and we're going to use that very familiar text. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to join me in Faith's Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11, as we study God's Word together. As you're turning, let me make a confession. For months now, I've been struggling with a rather perplexing question. Why does God require faith in order for us to be saved? We all know that God cannot be perceived through our senses. We can't see God. We can't hear God. We can't smell God, taste God. We can't touch God. To quote the old hymn, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, the only way we connect with God is, is by faith in His Son, Jesus. 
But let me press my perplexity just a little further. Consider this question. Could not God have elected us to eternal salvation through the gospel of Christ without our personal choice and without our personal faith? I suppose he could have, but that would have left us to be robots incapable of love. It would have left us to be automatons who are devoid of joy, like the old pull-string dolls in a spiritual application. I love you, God. I love you, God. That leaves me feeling flat. God's a person. He wants a relationship. I want intimacy with him. I don't want to flatline into 2020. I want to be like Enoch, who's spoken of in verse 5. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He had such a good time fellowshipping with God. God said, won't you just come on home with me? For he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had faith in the living God. That's the relationship I want with the Lord. (laughs) After all my wrestling, here's my conclusion. God receives greater glory, and we receive greater delight in discovering who He is by faith. It's it's kind of like that Christmas gift that lay beneath your tree for the last two weeks that you've been eyeballing, your name was on it, and you were wondering, what's inside that gift? You were staring at it, trying to figure it out. No one was looking. You picked it up and you tried to feel it. I wonder what's inside this gift. But for the life of you, you could not ascertain the contents of that gift until you came to Christmas morning. And then you finally opened the gift and your joy was accentuated by your surprise, by your discovery. Now, let me admit to you here, I I know there's a conundrum, a tension that I cannot explain. I believe the Bible teaches that God chooses us to eternal life. Hope you believe that too, because the Bible teaches it. At the same time, the Bible teaches we are responsible to believe. How do I reconcile those two things? I, I can't, because I'm not God. I can't explain it. Try to understand it, and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul. Here's a key text to explain my reasoning for my conclusion on why God requires faith for us to be saved. Ironically, it comes out of the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Scripture says we are a kingdom of priests, who can discover God by faith, and that's what I'm preaching on today. So let's get into it. Let's talk about faith. What is faith? How would we define faith? Let's jump right into verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. Here it is. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. The Apostle Paul speaks about the great patriarch Abraham in Romans 4, When he says of him, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Watch this now. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Paul cites Abraham as an illustration for his Jewish readers. Because some of them were stuck in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law of Moses. They thought you were saved by works. And Paul said, no, 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 no. 
God's people all down through history have always been saved by faith. Example, Abraham. God made him a promise. Abraham, I know you're an old dude. I know your wife is past childbearing years, but I'm going to give you a baby boy. You're going to call him Isaac, which means laughter. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham believed God. And it was a counter to him for righteousness, Genesis 15, verse 6. About 20 years later, give or take a few, God said to Abraham, you know that boy I gave you, that little baby laughter? I want you to sacrifice him on a mountain, I will show you. This one you love, this uniquely begotten son, I I want you to sacrifice him, a burnt offering. By the way, God didn't want Abraham's son. He wanted Abraham's heart, and he had it because Abraham was willing to put his son to death because God had commanded it. Do you know what our text of Scripture says in Hebrews eleven nineteen? 19? Abraham believed that God was going to resurrect his son Isaac from the dead. By the way, that's a prefigurement of the fact much later that the son of Abraham and the person of Jesus Christ would be sacrificed by his heavenly father on that same mountain, Moriah, and that God really did raise his son Jesus from the dead to prove that our justification is effective through faith in his sacrificial work on our behalf. If you want a definition of faith, I would put it this way as I look at what it said about Abraham. Saving faith is being fully convinced, i.e. trusting or believing God based on what he's promised in his word. Faith is taking God at his word. I want you to fill in the blank for me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you want faith? You get connected to this book. It's why I recommend you follow Pastor Pat's reading plan for us this new year because we all need to drink in the Word of God. It will build faith within us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, literally a word about Christ, the gospel of Christ. That's what connects you to God and heaven and salvation by faith in Jesus. And it comes through His Word. In a phrase, faith is God-confidence. As we move down into our text, jump down to verse 6, where we find an amazing statement made about what constitutes saving faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that's number one, and number two, that he rewards those who seek him. Two parts of this verse. The first, we have to believe that God exists. I like intellectuals. Guys like Al Mohler, I just love to listen to what they have to say. Mohler gives insight when he says this, ontology trumps autonomy. That means true faith acknowledges the reality of God's self-existence and dismisses the notion of human self-existence, i.e., I am the reason I exist. No, God is the reason you exist. You're not an accident by evolutionary chance. God made you. He designed you for fellowship with himself. And when you connect with him, you find your reason for living. It's Jesus. It's God. And you're headed for that better land as you trust him by faith. Secondly, to please God, we must believe that God rewards those who seek him. That means God rewards with eternal salvation those who trust in Christ and his saving work. Now watch this. If they do not stop believing. 
I can hear the wheels turning. Some of you are saying, what did, what did you say, Kurt? Uh, don't, don't you believe in the eternal security of the believer? Of course I do. It's not that a genuine Christian can lose his salvation. It's that a professing Christian can reveal he never had it. That's why Scripture constantly exhorts us, examine your faith to see whether you be in Christ. Wow. You've got to consider the premise of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, through chapter 12, verse 12. Here's the foundational principle, the profound argument you see here in this passage. You have to understand the underlying doctrinal statement. Saving faith is enduring faith. In other words, it never gives up on Christ no matter what the trial or what the cost. You have to understand, in context, this is about 66 AD, and the Hebrew Christians were really being oppressed. I mean, horrifically so. And their old guard was saying, hey, come back to the old sacrificial system. Come back to the temple. Offer blood sacrifices again. Because they were under such persecution that they were tempted to overthrow their faith. Now, you know, most of you do, that I'm the counseling pastor here, so I have insights into people's lives that most of you don't. You, you have to know that this past 30 days has been a horrific time for numerous families in our church who are going through emotional trauma unbelievable. My heart aches for them. Wrestling. Why do I feel this way? Emotion screaming and lying. And when they choose to believe those lies, they're tempted to overthrow their faith. So let me ask you, on this last Sunday, 2019, how, how's your personal faith holding up? What's it look like? Some of you, I fear, are on the brink of throwing your faith overboard. The storms of life are strong, and you're ready to give up. I beg of you, I beg of you, don't do it. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. The aforementioned Ray Ortland, who will come to us soon enough, said this, and I love this quote, at some point in your life, God will injure you so extremely that the self-reliance you aren't even aware of will collapse under your loss and anguish. Have you been there? You will start realizing, Lord, I need you. I need the Lord now with an urgency, a desperation, a seriousness of purpose deeper than I've ever needed him before. Don't let your trials drive you from Christ. Don't turn bitter, but turn better. Whatever drives you to Christ is a good thing, even if it's a trial. Your faith must express desperation without despair. Saving faith is diligently defiant. Now listen to me carefully. Saving faith is not just mental assent. It is always followed by action. Faith is a verb even when it's a noun. Whenever faith is connected to a Bible character, it is always demonstrated by acts of obedience 
following. If you were to look at the pattern of Hebrews 11 in your Bible in front of you, you'll see verse after verse, starting with the character by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But notice what follows. Every one of them demonstrates the reality of their faith by obeying what God commanded them to do. That's how you know you are saved, when you obey God with what he's commanded because God has put new life inside your soul. Calvin said these words years ago, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It's followed by works. Here's a tongue twister for you. Try this one on for size. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. Try saying that ten times in a row as fast as you can. You ever heard someone say, you talk a good talk? That's true of a lot of cultural Christians in America. I'm convinced that many genuinely do not know Christ because their walk talks louder than their talk talks. My question for 2020 is simply this. Will your walk talk as we enter this new decade? We're about to enter into uncharted territory on our hike through history. The decade of the 20s will likely bring unprecedented changes, unprecedented challenges to the Christian community. Your faith will be tested. Mark my words. The Bible says as much. And some of you are being tested even as I speak. In fairness, I want to be honest, Tim Keller reminds us, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies. I'm not saying you won't have doubts. I've had doubts myself. I still have doubts. I am saying that you will have to wrestle through those doubts with a holy perseverance. What the reformers called the perseverance of the saints, which may be a preferable term to the eternal security of the believer. We pursue and persevere all the way through. The last verse of Hebrews 10 reminds us, we are not among those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Here's the point. Saving faith is enduring faith. You throw your faith overboard, you've never been born again. Do you remember the Old Testament story of the destruction of the ancient twin cities of sin? Sodom and Gomorrah, as revealed in the 19th chapter of Genesis. Remember that story? Who's the key character in the story? His name is Lot, child of God. 2 Peter 2 says he vexed, tormented his righteous soul daily by their unwicked or unlawful deeds. He was Abraham's cousin, but he didn't follow in Abraham's pathway. He married a local girl from Sodom. The text says next to nothing about her. We don't even know her name. But the question is, did Mrs. Lot truly believe? There's but a three-word answer to that question, and it doesn't come in the Old Testament context, but in the New Testament Gospel of Luke, and it's spoken by no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ, who simply said these words, remember Lot's wife. Would she be saved? After all, if you know the storyline, she was on her way to deliverance. The burning city was behind her. 
But to be almost saved is to be all the way lost. With the cry of the angels in one ear and the sound of crackling flames in the other, the warnings pushed her forward. But her heart had been captured and her eyes followed her affections. Lot's wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Learn the lesson. If you are wedded to this world, you will be widowed in the next. Jesus expressed it this way. He who, in putting his hand to the plow, looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Superficial faith will not sustain us. America's brand of faith, by and large, is not biblical faith. We need a deep faith, a robust faith, a grounded faith to survive the world of tomorrow. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I'm here to tell you it's going to get harder to stand strong for Jesus no matter who is elected president in 2020. Scripture tells us this whole world lies under the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. So this message is designed to prepare you, to challenge you, to stay the course when eventually all you can see is darkness. I'm preaching to give you hope. You have to remember, it gets darkest just before dawn, just before Christ returns, and He is our hope, that blessed hope that gives us a future with God. So in looking at Faith's Hall of Fame, what potential challenges await us, you and me? I don't have time to go through all of these examples, quite obviously, so let me examine just three possibilities as illustrated in our text, first of all, the possibility of persecution at the hands of family. Look at verse 4. Notice the qualifying words. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks Abel was killed by his brother Cain. I doubt that will happen to anybody here. But a challenging sibling rivalry is more common than you think. I encounter it again and again in the context of counseling. Surely, in the future, family struggles will intensify. It's not easy when family disowns you, and yet it's coming. A man's enemies, Jesus said, will be those of his own household. And so I exhort you, please listen to me, I exhort you, when your parents, when your spouse, when your kids walk away from Christ and walk away from you, trust the Lord. Idolatry of family is epidemic. What the Bible teaches, prizing Christ always takes supremacy over family. Saving faith prizes Christ above family. 
Second possibility you may have to go through as I look into the text further. Persecution at the hands of a scoffing world. I cite the two examples, one from Noah, one from Moses. I begin reading in verse 7, where we find that descriptive phrase again, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. What does that mean? It had never rained before. God's going to destroy the world by flood, and Noah had never seen rain. But in reverent fear, there's another synonym for faith, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I drop down to verse 24, illustration of Moses. Here's our descriptive phrase. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing Faith always involves choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Again, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who's invisible. A third time, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now listen to me, Christ followers are counter-cultural. We do not tailgate the culture. In fact, we will crash into the culture's worldview because we're traveling in opposite directions. In an effort to protect your own family, your own faith, you'll have to expose the pagan world's view that insists on rejecting the warning of coming world judgment. You will clash. You will swim upstream against the current. If you are truly in Christ, my friend, you will build the ark. If you are truly in Christ, you will reject the riches of Egypt. If you are truly in Christ, you will apply the blood of the Passover lamb to escape the destruction of the angel of death. And as a result, the world will reject you. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul told Timothy. And that's what happened to these early Hebrew Christians. You read the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 10. Some of them lost everything, all their possessions. The Caesar lashed out and stole all their personal possessions. Can I ask you a question? If today all of your earthly portfolio was gone like that, would you still follow Christ? Or are you following him only for the bennies? Verse 32 of chapter 10, they endured a hard struggle with sufferings. A third possibility you may have to go through is dying without having seen the fulfillment of your faith. By the way, that's true of everybody who dies before Jesus returns. We die without seeing what's on the other side, but we trust that what God has said will come to pass. Verse 13, the first phrase, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. That refers to Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. And later in this chapter, the same truth is repeated. The text mentions torture and flogging and imprisonment and so much more. Verses 39 and 40 summarize, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us. 
Tell me, what is the something better that's promised and provided for us? It is when all of us see Jesus as returned and our bodies are redeemed and resurrected and we become just like Christ. I just finished reading the New Testament for this year. I've been the last few days in Revelation 21, 22. What a glorious passage. When God wipes away all tears from our eyes and God himself will dwell with us and be our God. That's our future. That's our hope. We can't see it now, but it will happen because God says so. <laughs> Moses did not enter the promised land. David was not allowed to build the temple. The Old Testament prophets did not see the Christ whom they prophesied. Even Jesus did not immediately inherit the kingdom, but eventually they all would receive their inheritance because God's word is as good as gold. Where are you today? We're in that weird time between Christmas and New Year's. Emotionally, we go, up and down we go. <laughs> For some of you, it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. Why is that? Because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. You're looking at your problems. You're looking at your personality. You're looking at your perplexities. <laughs> what we need to do, and this is kind of the capstone to this whole passage, Hebrews chapter 12, on the basis of what we just read about chapter 11, it says, seeing then that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a reference to all those Old Testament saints, he says... <laughs> Seeing that, we should lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What is that besetting sin in context? It's unbelief. It's lack of faith. And let us run with endurance and perseverance the race that is set before us. Keep going, my friend. Don't give up. Don't check out. And then it says, looking unto Jesus, that Greek word means to turn away from what you have been staring at, your problems, and instead look to Jesus and gaze upon him. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father on high. Consider him who endured such hostility of sinners, lest you become discouraged and faint-hearted in your soul. Consider Christ who finished his course, and so can you by resting in his power. You say you're pretty passionate today, Kurt. Well, can I get real? If I'm honest with you, too often I take my eyes off of Jesus and I put them on my circumstances and my melancholic personality gets the best of me and my faith begins to wane and one thing I've been doing for years to counter that is to keep a journal of my journey. Now, it's not extravagant. I just write a paragraph a day, and I recommend it to you. I keep a daily log. I write down what I'm learning from my scriptures and what God's doing in my life. I've been doing this now for a while, and when I look back 
I can trace the trail, the finger of God in my life, and I discover through God's sightings, wait a minute, that, that's God. He answered my prayer. He's helping me. You're so good, God. I'm so encouraged because I've seen a track record of your faithfulness. I gotta tell you the most wonderful story, at least for me. I entered this into my journal yesterday morning, Saturday morning, because something happened late Friday afternoon that just really blessed my socks off. I'm here to minister to people. I went down to Lutheran Hospital. I went to what's called the Behavioral Health Unit, sometimes called the psych ward, and I talked with one of our guys who's been there for a little while who's really, really struggling. I love this guy. He's the dearest guy, but he's really, really struggling. I went in the afternoon slot, and I started to pour my heart out. And again, understand, they placed me right there in the middle of the room with he and his wife, with all these other patients around, and a couple of nurses were there within earshot. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, they were listening. And I just poured, I poured my heart out, and I, I told him how the gospel informs our emotional health. We don't have to believe those lies that Satan speaks into our heads. We have to believe what God says is true based upon his promises of who we are in Christ. Our identity is that of people who are chosen and loved and accepted and forgiven, and nothing can ever change that. But I did tell him, you've got to, I told him what I was preaching on, you've got to exercise faith, my friend. You've got to believe the promises, and then you've got to get up, and you've got to go on. It'll be hard, but you've got to trust God and obey, because saving faith is always followed by demonstrated obedience and action. It was about 5 o'clock, visiting hours over, so I went over to the nurse, and I said, hey, I, I got to go, and she said, okay. They lock everybody in there, so they got to unlock the door to get you out, and as she was escorting this wife and myself, she said, I, I got to tell you something. Me and another nurse friend, we, we listened in, and my, my nurse friend said, I got chills with what that guy said, and then she said, you, you don't know anything about me, but you have to know that I've been going through a horrific time, apparently a believer. And she said, I just found out that my husband committed some horrific travesty and he's been sentenced to six years in prison. She said, it's been so dark and so difficult, but what you said helped me. I drank in the word of God and you gave me hope. And I wrote it into my, my journal. That's a God sighting. That's God. Trying to minister to this brother, I helped somebody else through the word of God. And that's such a God thing. Encouraged me so much. That's why I journal, and I recommend you journal. God journals too. Malachi 3 tells us that God has a book of remembrance our names are written into it if we put our faith in Jesus. In a few days, his logbook will begin to record the events for our next decade. The pen is in his hand, and the author and finisher of our faith will write our story into his. It's spiritually edifying when we can synchronize our journal with his journal, and when we do, we'll be able to trace his faithfulness. As Nate Saint reminds us, let God be the author of your story and not just the editor. 
I beg of you. While the hourglass runs out on the old year, trust Christ while still you can, believing to the saving of your soul. And then with the uncertainties of what's just around the bend, trust Him with your future by obeying His word, and you will find that God does everything He says He'll do. I want you to take one last look at that slide because this, my friends, is a metaphor for your life. You're on this road right now today, and you're just about ready to go around the bend, and you don't know what lies ahead. But I guarantee that if you will trust God in His Word, down the road you'll be able to compare your journal with God's journal, and you'll be able to say these words. We'll let you read them on the screen with me. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I'm going. But I am where I need to be at this moment. Every step God has directed in my life has led me here. Now. You're not here by accident, but by divine design. If you will accept that by faith, you will have peace in 2020 and all the way home on your trail to heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, my heart bleeds. I talked to so many folks who are hurting. Thank you, by the way, for that encouragement from the psych ward on Friday. I'm just so grateful. That just really blessed me, Lord. But I pray that even the word of God we've preached today might encourage my listeners this morning who are struggling with some difficulty and so focused on it. Would you help them by grace, by faith, to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, for every, every look itself, help us to take ten looks at Christ. Help us to gaze upon him, his example, and to know that you will keep your word. You're going to bring us safely through to the other side if we put all of our faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, as we sing these words again, help us to realize we have to hold on to every promise. And as we do, we'll have joy in the journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.